Hello, it's the editor again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm behind. But that means for you, to your benefit, we get to continue the spooky season a little bit into November here. So here's a, here's a spooky one. And then a little down the line, you're going to have another spooky one. But for now, just we're rewinding it. I know you had a wonderful Halloween. I'm so glad to hear that. We're going we're gonna to get a little, a, little, a little scaries in here, huh? All right. You up for it? All right. Let's continue. Let's let's do it, you know? <laughs> As they walked towards the terror in what was once reality, it tried to deny all that was happening. At the edge, deep within the carrion black pit of the abyss in silent horror, they stare and in that abyss. These two jackasses stared right back. Hello and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of So Did You Like It, a film podcast that you can lose with the thousands and thousands of other film podcasts, but we're not going to be critics. We're not going to throw nine maneuvers at you. We're just going to ask at the end of the conversation, so did you like it? I am Sir Square and joined as always with my co-host. I'm losing me. I'm Cass- losing me, Square. Cass- no. No, Cass. I'm- Get it. I'm Get together, Cass. Me. Get it together, Cass. Oh, yeah. You're right, I am Kaz. I was written to be Kaz, so here I am. Oh, okay, welcome back. And that is right, we checked out In the Mouth of Madness, written and directed by John Carpenter, the final film in the Apocalypse trilogy, starring, uh, actually it is written by Michael DeLuca, sorry, 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 starring uh, Sam Neill, Julie Carmen, Jurgen Prochow, and surprisingly Charlton, he- Charleston Heston. This is, this is a Lovecraft movie. I mean, I thought it was written by Stutter Kane. His name is Sutter Kane, not Stutter Kane. <laughs> right. But did I stutter? Mm-mm. So. Damn it. All right. That was good. I have to admit, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, this is, like, I don't... We can go into the plot about this movie, but through and this is just John Carpenter's attempt at making a more centralized Lovecraft-inspired film. Because you can say that the thing is cosmically uh, cosmic horror-inspired, and some people try to make arguments for Prince of Darkness when that's really kind of a mix between sci-fi and religion. Um, but this was really like, as even in the title, this is a play on the famous novel of H.P. Lovecraft, In the Mountains of Madness, or in the Mountain of Ma- or At the Mountains of Madness, or whatever, you know? It's, it's, okay. One thing that I can say about this movie that I absolutely adored, and I don't know if you picked up on this, Kaz, this movie does its best to play itself as a pulp noir novel come to life. Every depiction, every scene, even down to their character names, you can give yourself an inner monologue to a 1920s style noir story. I just got like uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch vibes, really. From it. Wait, serious? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, you need to go into detail about how you got those vibes. Uh, main character finds that there's some kind of plot afoot. She goes to go like, all right, I guess I'll investigate it. Some lady goes, joins him. Turns out like everyone that in this town that he goes to is in on the plot. And then the lady ends up turning on him. So in, in Halloween three, they're robots. So, but that's, I'm not going to get too far into it because that's a whole rabbit hole. It's really weird. <laughs> uh, so, you know, huh. vibes. I- this one's a bit crazier if you could believe it even though halloween 3 <laughs> involves stonehenge and masks that turn kids into worms and creepy crawlies hey but this one also deals with kids yeah those little kids are shits so i wish they... <laughs> <laughs> wish uh, sam neil literally would have showed him what for <laughs> look look when cosmic horror is about punch a kid who cares if they're yeah, ripping off the if... would have been afraid of kids too <laughs> if they're ripping off the legs of dogs you can punch that kid it's fine yeah I mean, then again, H.P. Lovecraft, that dumb bitch was scared of everything. <laughs> I can't blame him when it comes... Like, look, I also suffer from thalassophobia. So, like, I get that. And that's why man, it works. He wrote a short story because he was afraid of air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Like, and he wrote... And he was incredibly racist as well, you know? What do you think shoggoths <laughs> are, you know? That is the he's most like, one of the most racist things I've ever read in a book. So it's just like not only is he afraid, he's a he's like so afraid of the world. He's a racist man. He just, I just imagine just man, how that box make that air so cold? That's some bullshit. There's, 
This is unnatural, and I don't like it, and it scares me. I'm going back into the dreamlands and starts writing about, like, some fucked up situation where the King of Yellow emerges from a box of cold ice that is going to just summon the prophecy of the Crimson King to destroy the world. Honestly, I think all it did was just kind of turn the person into sludge. It's been a long time since I read it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, 50-50, either one of us are right. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's usually what you get. You, 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 it's a pick your own choice with a love story. That's what, that's Either my favorite. Some eldritch horror, or you just turn into sludge. That's my favorite uh, version of the Lovecraft Call of Cthulhu: the choose your own adventure, Goosebumps style. Oh, yeah, it all ends badly. <laughs> you just got to choose the less bad ending. Oh man, I was eaten from the abyss. Uh, I didn't take my finger off the page. I didn't take it. I'm gonna go with the other one. Obviously, I was going with the other one. I got insane and just ate myself. Oh man! It's all just every ending is you go insane. You're either insane or you died before you can become insane. Oh, I ended up back at Arkham. <laughs> the story sucks. Oh man! Found right, on HP Lovecraft. Uh, all we want. God, he deserves it, but. His stories have inspired a lot of really cool shit. So, is is this one of them? (laughs) My, I don't, you can't always do cosmic horror, right? That's the thing. Cosmic horror is a situation where, like, it is about what is written on the page and what your mind is going to create. Cosmic horror can work in film. It can. It's just incredibly difficult. But when you try to rely on Lovecraft's style of cosmic horror, the one he created and like founded it doesn't really translate to film that well like is this movie more is this movie scary or is this movie kind of you know campy uh the movie plays with ideas that i think on paper and when you really think about it like when they set up and they tell you like oh yes and then uh, you know, this your reality isn't really a reality, and everything you're doing was preordained, not by any god, but by a writer who is written because he's seen it this way. Um, these are kind of really fucked up thoughts. But then you get these creepy little dumbass like kids with like cysts on their face chasing after you, going ah, and you're like, oh yeah, this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> or you got the townspeople that are just like, I can't stop. I was written this way. <laughs> Yeah, or like they're trying to leave the. He's trying to leave the town in a car, and he keeps coming back. Like every time he's going, he's going and following a straight line through the road, and yet he finds himself back uh, where he started. And it's it's like the first time it happens, you're like, oh no, and then you know you're like, he can't escape, and then they do it like four times, and I'm like, come on. At this point, man, you just drive forward, and you see what happens. Yeah, like I feel. I feel like I feel like at this point, if someone would have done like a map painting of like where he wanted to go, he'd drive through it like a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon, <laughs> and he'd be where he wanted to go. It was kind of like a situation of uh, where like the first time he tried to drive, and he shot back. He was like he couldn't believe it, so he had to do it a second time. And when it happened the second time, he was starting to realize like the insanity of the situation. So the third time he does it, you have that kind of gleam in his eye. The fourth time, he does it with absolute, like, just, like, the doors of madness are really starting to crack open for him in his head. I love, like, after the fourth one, he's looking at them like, all right, let's fucking go. And that's when he finally makes that smart decision of just driving through the horde of messed up things, because they're not really human at that point. And then four seconds later, oh no, it's that girl who's also evil, but I don't know, I guess I know her a little bit, swerves and eats shit. Yeah, you remember that girl that also, like, you once looked into the bathroom and saw, like, tentacles coming out of her shadow, as well as little tentacles through the door, and then you know how she didn't just, you know, she didn't pull off, like, the grudge-style, the ring crawling out of the TV thing. She straight up contorted her body in a way that's like, nah, I can't ever look at you like a human again. But yet you're still going to swear. Yeah. Like, sh- dude, like in that sequence, it always freaks me out because you see her neck bone just like jutting out at an angle where it's like her neck is definitely broken right now. Yeah, yeah. She was doing some Valdo ass shit, man. She could have been. I-, I don't know. Maybe Linda was originally from, you know, Cirque du Soleil. But it kind of seemed by this point she was more Cirque du Freak. Damn. I know. I had Damn. to. I had to. 
Anyway, let's let's go quickly over the plot so maybe people will catch up a little bit because we kind of went a little hard real quick. Oh, good, because I'll also need a recap on the plot. So this is the situation. We begin at uh, a insane asylum where the main character, played by Sa- Sam Neill, whose name is John Trent, is dropped off, screaming he is not insane. He has a weird vision the first night. And then the next day, or the, like a couple of weeks later, when someone shows up to uh, interview him, uh, Doctor Wren, by played by uh, David Warner, he he tells his story. And what we know about Trent is he is a uh, in, he's an insurance investigator to make sure that uh, insurance companies are not getting defrauded by uh, false claims uh, by their whatever you call them. Uh, and he is hired by a famous publication company to look for their writer, their famous horror writer, Sutter Kane, who has gone missing at the uh, right when they're about to release his new book, In the Mouth of Madness. And they need him to find him to find the manuscript because they don't have it and they need to print it. Lo and behold, it turns out he finds out that Sutter Kane is in the town of Hobbs End, which doesn't exist because he's written it in a Sutter Kane book. But then, turns out it does exist in New Hampshire. And that's when shit gets weird. That's really the plot. They go to Hobbs End, and that's when things start falling apart because our, they're not in reality anymore. They clearly show that they're not in reality in the drive to Hobbs End. I don't know if this is intentional, but the town does seem like just basic enough to what a writer would include. Like, all you see when you go into the town, you see, like, the fronts of houses and stores and all that stuff. But, like, anytime, like, it, you know, the camera pans out a little bit, there's, like, just trees and shit, like, behind it. It's not, like, a fully, like, developed, like, town. It just looks like what you would do as a set dressing for a set of a town. And even when they go to the fucking church, it's this church in the middle of this fucking field and nothing else around it. Almost like how you would read or write it in a book where you're just like, ah, yes, and you just describe in detail the church and, uh, like, the fucking uh, uh, mural that's on it and all that stuff. And around it, uh, you know, you would say, like, I don't know, there's this greenery and trees and a road leading up to it. You're totally right. Like, because now that you you pointed out like that, when when they enter the town and they're walking up, like, the main street, I couldn't tell you what any of those like supposed shops are. They're so nondescript yet so unsettling at the same time. Like there was definitely a shop that just had hanging rusted tools. And then to like really push the plot a little bit more forward to give a little intrigue. That's when these random kids come running out onto the street, chasing a dog and like laughing a little bit, but like weird music's playing in the background. And it, really does feel like a novel being written at that time like he he just created the town he just created these people and like you said at the church there's nothing there at the church and then out of nowhere like four cars and people with guns who weren't in the town at all just kind of show up and then by the yeah. end of the movie when like he's trying to escape Hobbs and where did all of these townspeople come from they weren't needed they, until then yeah and it's it's a, re- a lot more obvious, especially when you juxtapose it to the beginning of the movie, like, well, after his freak out at the hospital. But uh, uh, at the beginning of the movie, when he's in an actual city, he's talking with people. He's walking through a lobby for this, you know, uh, publishing company, and there's people walking by. You know, there's just always people. He's in a diner. There's people in the background. You can see people reacting to things, things happening, as opposed to when he's in the town and everything seems focused around him. Yeah. And... But that's like the most interesting part about this, like the juxtaposition you had, because at what you find out at the end of the film, the big shocker um, is that John Trent actually doesn't exist. He is the main character in The Mouth of Madness, the actual book Sutter Kane has written. So when you are in, I think it's like supposed to basically be New York, right, where they start, they start off, like some sort of metropolitan New York. Like I assume yeah. either. A- New York light type. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he is the only, or like him and Linda are the only non real people proving that Sutter Kane's writing now truly does affect reality. He can write people into existence, even in our sphere of reality, because Hobbs end doesn't really exist. 
Um, and you even see that change, like we said, like I said a little bit earlier, when Linda's driving the car and like all of reality cracks around her, and next thing you know, she's driving on storm clouds in the middle of like the her or the of Zeus's fury, you know, which was like the equivalent of it. Until next thing you know, she's kind of coming out of a barn house looking uh, ramp into Hobbs End. Yeah, that's a place where the goddamn pe- couple from Beetlejuice died. <laughs> I totally didn't. Put, I totally didn't get that. But all right, <laughs> that's good. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's like a little bridge thingy that has a little hutch over. It had like a little little roof. And yeah, they just drove off into the fucking river. And this time, they don't drive off in the river. They drive into insanity because nothing is gonna go well for them at all. I don't know. You saw what the afterlife in Beetlejuice was like. I think it was pretty insane. Yeah, but do you think the afterlife in this reality is gonna be any better? <laughs> I don't know. Depends how he writes it, I guess. <laughs> He's gone at this point. Sutter Kane at the end is just kind of like, I'm going off to my new publishers, which basically means he's going to go die now. <laughs> like, every time you do a Lovecraft story, it's always that same people who want to mess with those characters. They're always like the same person. It's just like, I was chosen by them and I have led to the like new age and I shall join them in power as we rule over this earth. Bitch. And then you become sludge. Exactly. No. At most, if you're lucky, they will burn you alive and absorb your essence. And that's about it. That's only if you're lucky. Most of the time, some other thing is going to come kill you because they can't even be bothered to kill you. Because to them, they just used an ant to, you know, find a little bit of sugar. That's it. I have, like, another video game reference, but once again, that's a whole other rabbit hole. What I'm thinking is I need a podcast where I talk about no, video game nonsense. give me this hole. But, uh, Bring it to me. Go down this rabbit hole. Eh, it's an old GameCube game. No one's ever heard of it. It's fine. But, uh, Do it wait. It wait, are we talking about Eternal stuff. Darkness, or are we talking about, um... You son of a bitch! Of course, of course I know Don't about Eternal Darkness! <laughs> Don't make me do it! Talk about it. Eternal Darkness <laughs> is, like, one of the best horror games that ever came out for that not only for like that generation but it still holds up to like the standard of what Ooh, you need to do it, it, it plays a little like ass but well yeah i mean all old games play a little bit game. ass but like if you want to do good uh, effective well, horror writing that's how you do it it's so funny like the, the amount of characters that are like some of them have such pivotal roles and do such a major things and well, they all contribute. Like it, it's basically just spans generations and all that stuff, like centuries and centuries of humans working towards a, a singular goal, sort of. Uh, and yeah, it's just funny how some of them, like they go, they have this epic adventure. Some of them live to ripe old age and then get fucking yeeted in in their sleep or some shit, uh, or they just live and stuff like that. And then like there's this one, I think he's. Uh... I think it's the friar, or maybe it's a soldier. I don't remember. Anyways, uh, they uncover some shit. They, once again, do some stuff that's going to help generations further down the line. And the moment they encounter just a low-grade, like, just uh, summon from a god, like, just some pissant that the gods have summoned just to guard a relic, uh, he goes, and, like, it's a big old cutscene where he's like, wow, like, amazed by everything happening. This bitch comes out of, the, out of a fucking hole in the ground and stomps his ass. No words said. He's just a smear on the floor. <laughs> Later, you play as a guy who fights that thing and defeats it so you can get the relic and blah, 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 blah. But the guy leading up to it, the first guy that they introduced, smudged. It's <laughs> all that happens. See, no cares. They, no one references him ever after that. And see, that's... You bring, I, I, was, I was singing the praises of Eternal Darkness, and I still think Eternal Darkness is great. And every, everyone, if you have a chance to play it, you should play it. But that is one thing I do hate about Cosmic Horror and video games. Once you do that, once you create a way to fight these things, you have completely destroyed cosmic horror. It is no longer cosmic horror. It is just monster horror with whatever, you know? Throwing in a little bit of cosmic in there just so you can use the genre. Because these things cannot be defeated at all. I think you might be a bit too precious with your definition of cosmic horror. Well, that's what cosmic horror is supposed to be. It is the essence of, like the unknown and the reality of your place within the universe that Mm. you are like, just as you compare your, like compare your greatness to an ant, there are things above you that are the same. So in that sense, 
they are things that can't be destroyed because that's the horror of them. Like when you look at Call of Cthulhu, yeah. like they ram the boat into Cthulhu's head and he splits apart like a bag of gas exploding, but then he just reforms and he doesn't actually care. Like to him, that's not, oh, I've been foiled again. It's more just like, it just wasn't right yet. I don't really. Yeah, you just need a bigger boat and just Ursula. That still ain't gonna work. <laughs> still ain't gonna do jack shit. He'll just blow up again, and then just in his head, it's just like I'm. Uh, all right. I don't give a shit. Where his explosive innards once were, you just put it in park, and you just stay there. God, you just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's great how you keep trying, but that's not how that's gonna work, my guy. He'll reform <laughs> around the boat, I guess. He absorbs the um, boat but, into him. It is now boat Thulu, and you have made something then, worse than before. Even then, this is why I didn't want to talk about the video game because then I'm gonna be talking about the goddamn video game the whole time. But like, uh, you, you, what that guy kills that smushed that one friar was an underling. It wasn't even like one of the cosmic gods. It was just one of the things that were just like, well, "Hey, yeah, we just need the humans to not fucking fuck with this relic." Do you know what Cthulhu <laughs> Which, is? Like a lesser demon? He's just a priest. He's legitimately just a priest. That is all Cthulhu is, a priest. Yeah. Like, yeah, he is an like, underling. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, well, all, all this, like, this, well, gigantic creature, which, once again, you have to do a considerable amount of dark magic and other things to be able to finally destroy it. Uh, this thing was just summoned by some skeleton man who had, like, a fucking, like, pelvis bone as a scepter, like... <laughs> hey man, sometimes you gotta work with what you got. You don't have a skull, use the pelvis. Just say if Cthulhu's right there being like, I don't know, I just, you know, I'm just a priest, but I'm gonna send this guy because I'm busy. Eventually you go down the road long enough, you're like, I should I could probably punch one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I can probably kill one of the fishmen of Insmith. Think- Alright, I can give you that much. I think despite having non-caring, ultimate, undefeated, indi- uh, like undest- indestructible, like, uh, horrible eldritch gods, doesn't mean that you can't have creatures as well. I think... Uh, well, yeah, like, have, I understand like, that, like... monsters in it, but... There's the star spawn of Cthulhu, which are like that. There's the fish people of Innsmouth and the Deep Ones, which is a stupid fucking name. Um, like, those are... Those are technically, like, they're immortal, but not really immortal. They're only immortal until they take physical damage to the point that would kill them. But, yeah, like, we're not talking about because they don't actually even have to be summoned. They just, they exist. They permeate yeah. wherever they are. But anything that has to be summoned using dark magic, I feel like that's just, I like it when it's an unwinnable situation. Like the horror of the unwinnable situation where you're just gonna try to do your best in a situ in in the the problem you're never gonna win. But the but to Eternal Darkness's favor, aren't you aren't cosmic horror pitting each other pitting a fight against each other? It's just old yeah. ones that are trying to fight each other yeah, for the supremacy. It becomes like a hilarious WWE match where they're just like pulling out steel chairs and like hitting a giant jellyfish with it. It is funny, but <laughs> and like there is there is precedence within that. A lot of stories have come out where like it never like this is all also like when you start getting into the expanded mythos. Like yes, these deities do fight each other within their own conflicts of like grand scale. Because what else are you gonna do in, when you have all of reality and all of time in your? I don't think any of these goddamn villagers until Daddy wakes up. You know, I don't think any of these goddamn villagers get killed either, do they? Like we hit a fucking like weird old lady child with a bike, and that bitch still going around on the bike. Does anyone stay dead? No, because at this point, the oh, change the guy is with real. the axe, I guess. The editor? The, the the first guy that attacked him through the window with the yeah, axe? because the editor gets... I thought the lady was the editor. No, no. Oh, but she wouldn't She wasn't stuff, the right? editor. She was uh, the editor-in-chief's assistant. Yeah. And, so... her, and that the editor that they had for Sutter Kane was... Um, didn't actually work for them. He was the buffer between the two. I think it was more like contract yeah. work situation. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. There's no rules on if someone can die. Any one of them can die. They just don't because it's fucking Looney Tunes ass shit. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I, it's just like, oh yeah, you kill one of them, but then it's just like Sutter Cage just riding them back in. It's that fucking like Simpsons meme where Mo throws Barney out and then Barney's right behind him again. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. <laughs> I. 
honestly, like, I'm trying to think now, like, what's the best way to explain the villagers in this movie? Because they're just so... Their only purpose in this film is to show the change that they talk about that's happening in the book. Like, Linda talks about how uh, it starts with the children, and then, like, the change happens. And these villagers show that, you know? Kind of. Sort of. Because you don't see any of these people until now, and now they all look fucked up. And you don't see them until you need them. It's kind of a... like. Kind of a fucked... It's kind of a kind of a not uh, WandaVision situation. Yeah, it's kind where, of that. Except, you know... I guess where in WandaVision these were previously people with agency and all that stuff. In this one, they're just not. They're not. Weren't previously people with agency. They were all just made for this moment for this character. They were all made for uh for Sam Neill. I don't remember. Uh, Trent. Yeah, they were uh, all. It, it just seems like they were all made for Trent. You know what does this job better than the villagers? So like in when they get to Hobbs End, they stay at an inn. Uh, or they get a room uh-huh. at an inn because they're they're gonna investigate the town, and when they get there, yeah. there's a painting in the lobby of a couple looking out at um like a lake with some greenery, and they're like holding hands. Yeah. And then while Linda's looking at it, the woman in the painting turns to look at her, and she freaks out a little bit. Uh, uh some time passes in the film. Some stuff happens. Things are starting to fall apart. Trent is going to want to leave when he goes down to the lobby and looks at the painting. He notices that the woman is looking at them and her face is dismorphed with like weird silver eyes and the man and woman, like their hands are now intertwining tentacles and the black Byzantine church of Hobbs end is now in the painting. And then the last time you're in the inn and the last time Trent looks at the painting in the lobby, the change fully happens. These two are now like weird crawling tentacle like creatures uh, like that seem to be pulling themselves towards the lake while the black church is now this giant uh, shadow in the back while something else even more massive has overshadowed it with like whip-like tentacles that seem to be uh, flowing throughout the background, showing that this is what is about to happen. From point A to point B, this is the change through the painting. The villagers, again, they're just kind of thrown in at the end because they needed a little bit more for horror's sake, for the thrill. Just to have a tangible threat. Though, I'm not going to lie, one of my favorite moments in this movie is with the villagers. Because, like, when he drives the car to the main town and, like, is at the... He's right outside the bar he was at uh, when he first visited the town. And and this, like, he's looking out and seeing, like, all these villagers with, like, torches and axes and they look dismorphed and messed up. And this woman comes up, twisted mouth, silver eye hanging in a weird position, like, vertically on her left side... She's clutching an axe. She looks at him and just goes, fuck you, and then runs off. I like her. Just the most, like, she's, grimace, like, she's impish, vibes. fuck you. <laughs> just a real Anakin Skywalker. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> like, if if there's any extra that got paid their worth, I hope it was her. <laughs> it's such a good, like, it's it's so out of place. I don't know why it's there, but it's so fucking beautiful. Uh, she's great. Uh, <laughs> what was the deal with, like, the... Maybe I just kind of missed it. It went over my head or something. Or maybe I just, you know, just blocked that out of my head or just didn't catch on. Uh, but, like, what was the deal with the cop kicking the shit out of that one guy in the alley constantly? Well, it's a little bit about police brutality, obviously, and the way the okay. homeless are, dist- are are mistreated within, like, metropolitan societies. Um, but sure. also, I think it's just kind of playing in the fact, like, if you pay attention to the background noise of the movie, you'll hear a lot of radio reports and news reports happening that are talking about civil unrest within the world. A lot of incidents of paranoid schizophrenia, violent outbursts, riots, uh, a lot of this being uh, connected to Sutter Kane's fandom and works. But, like, that was the indication a little bit that, like, 
now random acts of violence are just kind of starting to slowly pop out, showing the change is starting to occur. He is writing the change into existence. I just think it's funny how how absolute shit ass this one cop <laughs> character is. Because not only is he just kicking the shit out of this one guy, fucking just treads just walking by, minding his own business. And as he's ready to walk off, I was like, well, that's fucked up. I'm not intervening. Fucking cop just turns around and looks at him like, what, you want some too? I'm like, wait, what the fuck? You want some too? <laughs> buddy <laughs> he's in the he's in the middle of like walking away right now <laughs> uh what do you think of like the whole uh, trope with like i can see you he sees you <laughs> like, <laughs> how would you respond if some like you're you're in a bookstore you're looking at some horror novels you know you're just trying to find something to read and some dorky ass kid walks up to you and just goes he sees you I'd probably just be looking up at the cameras of the place, like, huh? <laughs> just flip one of them the bird. You're like, see this, buddy? I don't know. Looking around, like, is this is this candid camera? Am I getting punked? Yeah, whom's is looking at me? Is it Junji Ito? Because those are the books I'm here for. <laughs> that is not a writer I, would... I want to write my life, by the way. <laughs> I would have just turned to him and just be like, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm looking for the Stephen King section. I love how they call out Stephen King in this book, too, when, like, Trent shows up to... The publisher's name is Arcane Publishing, of course, because, duh. And uh, they say, like, like, he even outsells Stephen King. Like, was that necessary? (laughs) You could have just called him one of the best horror writers in the world, but, like, you really have to throw that number in there? Like, why are you trying to connect this version of your world to, like, our version of the world? I don't need that. It really had that same kind of, like... Same kind of feeling or vibe of, like, Princess Bride, where he's like, you know, Socrates, Plato, morons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, eat shit, Stephen King. (laughs) Fuck you, buddy. If you want to be more realistic, you could have said he outsells Dean Coots. We would have all believed that. I'm sorry. Never mind. I want to take that back. I'm sorry, Dean. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. (laughs) He's pretty ubiquitous, I think. Not as prolific as Stephen King, but... I don't know. He's actually pretty prolific, and he kind of sticks with he sticks with the horror genre more than Stephen King does. Yeah, Stephen King has to write other things, while Dean Koontz literally, I feel, just sticks it with horror. Yeah, man, we should start a Dean Koontz podcast. (laughs) Maybe I don't think I've ever actually read one of his books. I know I've heard of them, and I I know people who do read them. I just don't think I have. That'd be pretty fun, a book podcast. But anyway. Uh... Oh, <laughs> so did you like it, book club? <laughs> Let's do this shit. Um... <laughs> and then, so did you like it, video games? Yeah, we're branching out, motherfuckers. <laughs> Kaz, you've seen Event Horizon, right? Never heard of it. Wait, seriously? No, I love that movie. Okay, okay, just making sure. <laughs> um, so you've seen Sam Neill in like this kind of cosmic horror-esque horror role, you know? Where, like, he's that person going insane. Let me look something up real quick. (laughs) Is Sam Neill insane? (laughs) No, Uh, he's beautiful and a treasure. When he's talking to the author, when he's talking to Sutter Kane, and then behind him, the fucking hallway, it looks pretty rad, because it's like, I don't know, has these big old fucking gothic arches and shit. I mean, it look, doesn't look that tall, but it look, has these big old arches, and the floor is very reflective, but wobbly, so it you it lo- almost looks like a tunnel, or, I don't know, like, the bottom basically looks like the, like the top, but it looks all distorted and fucked up. And yeah, I was like, man, he's gonna have to go home to that Event Horizon fucking hallway. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like that hallway because it was kind of a kind of gave me that vibe of when they explained the like the black hallway of water like that black water that like seems to s- you sink in you have no yeah. idea what's gonna pull itself out of but anyway so this movie came out in 1994 Event Horizon came out in 1997 so there's a little bit of time between these two films in Jurassic Park which, oh, we don't have to talk about that which performance. Do you think Sam Neill did better? In? Well, I was going to say Jurassic Park, but now that that's off the table. Well, of fucking course it's going to be Jurassic Park, Kaz. What do you want me to do? Um, Probably this, actually. I think he does more. He has more to do in this, I think. He's a bit more straight-laced in Event Horizon till the end. I, want, I, was, I was wondering if you would say that because I completely agree. And the reason why is, yes, sometimes Sam Neill does break accent in this movie and we we would talk about it through it and it's it's great when it does never ever (laughs) 
<laughs> at Throw a driver. <laughs> Throw chips at a driver. It slips every so often. But I love his descent into madness. Is it at the same level as John Cusack at 1408? No. But it, it's in a more campy direction that just works with this actor. Like it, I feel like he's the only one that could have pulled this off. You know, to be fair, also fourteen oh eight is kind of a weird comparison because that uh, that does as weird as it sounds, that does seem more grounded than this. Yeah, but it's the same situation where like all of this stuff driving them insane is happening within a short period of time. Yeah, like it's that quick descent into and like I think it really they really capitalize on Sam Neill's ability by the time they get to the end of the movie. Because when he walks into the movie theater showing In the Mouth of Madness, the film edition, and it's literally just clips of the movie we're watching right now, that moment where he starts laughing hysterically, but right before the credits hit, he starts crying while laughing. Yeah. I just think it's perfect. I That, that brief, like, 15, like, last 15 seconds of the film is so good to me. I think he nails that type of transition into these two emotions. Yeah, that that was real good. The la- the laughing was very silly, but it it does get very it does get kind of disturbing by the end of it. I just uh I wish the movie they were showing or that he was watching wasn't just exactly what we saw just montaged. <laughs> I don't know. You wish just... that they would have sh- would have filmed a shittier version of the same movie. I don't know. I don't. I don't really know what I would have wanted. But what we got <laughs> was kind of a little too silly. Well, but you have to think about it. He is the main character of the book. The book is happening at the same time the movie's happening I because know. the book is the movie. And so, like, I, the only thing we could have gotten was just a shittier reshoot of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's just this, it's the same thing we just saw about everyone being played by just a much worse actor. <laughs> Every part is just played. <laughs> Every part played by James Woods. <laughs> Maybe. I thought you were going to say every part was just going to be played by Sam Neill. That also would have been pretty rad. It would have been so funny. Uh, oh, you know what? I feel like uh, Sam Neill goes through enough. Yeah. I, 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 it, it's kind of pointless to just speculate like, oh, hey, wouldn't it have been great if they did this? Because they didn't. So, you know. But yeah, what we got, I don't know. It just seemed really funny just watching that paired with his like over the top laughing or laughter. Uh, as well as just the montage of literally everything we just saw. I I don't know. It was just kind of silly. I don't... Uh, what I'm saying is I don't think it got the effect it was supposed to because instead of whatever I was supposed to feel, I was just kind of laughing. It's, it's a campy film. Out of all yeah. three of the Apocalypse Trilogy films, this one is the campiest. Yeah. These like, are it is... Like, at least... trilogy are... in the way that the Cornetto trilogy is a trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> Obvious. Uh, you're you're completely right there. Not obviously, but you are completely right there. Because um, even Prince of Darkness, like, it still has some creepy moments to it. Like, but this one, I think there's only one jump scare that ever gets me in this film. And it's a simple one. It's the one where uh, Linda goes to the church by herself to investigate Sutter Kane so she can find the book and read to the end. And, uh, like, there's a moment where uh, she's like opens a door and like goes through it and you see she's about to come back and a hand comes out of nowhere and like shuts the door and grabs her. That's the only time I ever jump within this movie because it's a jump scare and it always gets me because of the the quick musical note they play that like screeching note real quick that always mm. makes me jump. But this movie it, itself it, it, isn't actually scary. Yeah. Uh, it's once again it's got some cool ideas that if you thought about them or if it's like wow if there's something like this happened to me that's fucked up um kind of stuff so it's scary in that way i hesitate to say cerebral since it is so campy but some of these ideas like on there it's just like oh man i don't that ooh, I, that's 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 fucked up <laughs> you know i have uh, a question i don't think anything yeah oh wait no keep keep finish your 
your thoughts? I was just saying, I don't think anything scared scared me, scared like jump scared me. But like, uh, yeah, ever since like the the original like uh, made for television movie of it, I don't like um, pictures moving. <laughs> yeah, didn't scare me, but I was like, no, I don't, I don't like this. That, that can be pretty unsettling. I had one thought when I was watching this movie. Um, you remember when we see the inside of Trent's cell after he's come to the asylum and it's all covered in black crosses made with a black crayon? Yeah. How did he get to the upper parts of the wall? Judicious use of that bucket. Because they're not allowed ladders. A lot of... <laughs> so, I mean, it looks too undignified, <laughs> but the guy, the, one of the orderlies walking by peeks in there and you just see him on his tippy toes hopping going... <laughs> I... I, it's just like one of those things where I feel like they might have thought about that. So like they only drew the like crosses to like as high as Samuel could maybe draw. Looked at and be like, nah, that looks dumb. It's got to be everywhere. Yeah. They, well, I don't even think it was that complicated. They probably were just like, yeah. And how fucked up would it look visually? Like you look in here and there's just crosses everywhere. I'm sure that's like the depth of it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I, his height or reach came into consideration at all. Well, actually, I don't get that vibe from that. I, I, they do do what they're trying to, where it's like, you see a bunch of crosses, and they're black crosses, and they're all over him, but they're not, they don't actually show an insane man. They show a man drawing a bunch of crosses. There are a lot of people that draw a bunch of crosses. And even Dr. Ren puts it as he came, he started off as a man uh, screaming that he was not insane and he didn't need to be here. To a man who was desperately trying to make sure he would stay there. Like, that, those crosses were like, they're unsettling, but they don't actually prove he's insane. They It actually more shows that he's trying to sell that he's insane. Because he doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to be out in the real world. He knows what's happening. So I do like that they were able to pull off that vibe. Yeah. Um... I also, what is, what, what is with the crosses? Because, like, yeah, you were saying, I just thought it, it was a funny idea, like, when we first started, the, the idea that a, the Christian God will save you from Cthulhu monsters. But, yeah, as you said, it's just it's just to give the illusion that he's insane so they don't, like, release him so he can be safe in his cell. Uh, but then when we go to, like, Sutter Kane's little church, whatever the shit, uh, there's a bunch of, like, really cute upside-down crosses, the, the, like candle holders yeah yeah like sconces and they were so darling i want them but that aside why what 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 is what what is why does he have a bunch of upside down crosses it's a little bit of both well because like when i actually look at them too i never really see a lot of upside down crosses i see mostly right side up crosses and crosses that are actually a little bit too perfect a dimension like the sides are too perfectly exact to each other so they're kind of not drawn properly I never see any in, uh, like any imagery of like devilry or like the Saint or uh, Saint Peter's cross, right? It was Saint Peter. That was that's where the crucifixion came from, I think. Anyway, uh, uh, in Lovecraft lore, though, this is another thing where it kind of also throws itself off in the later mythos editions uh, that were added by other writers. There are moments where like. Catholicism or Christianity or prayers do work. That like there is another power that is looking over the world and can fight these powers. Or it's just sometimes also it's the only thing they can take solace in because they still if these things exist, you can at least try to convince yourself that your God exists too. I would love it if the Christian God was also just a big stupid jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, look, after the episode, after episode uh, one of Star Trek The Next Generation, I'm all into space jellyfishes. <laughs> yeah, space jellyfish, space. Lord and Savior. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I'm now understanding that everyone who believes in the flying spaghetti monster, it's just you didn't realize you were seeing a giant space jellyfish. Your god is real. Those it's were, just a jellyfish, though. Those were tentacles. <laughs> it was not spaghetti. <laughs> That current that you felt through your body. It wasn't good bolognese sauce. It was electricity. Everyone knows the Lord is a fettuccine man. <laughs> Polly, you're breaking your mother's heart not believing in this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fun fact, Damn. fun fact about this movie. Uh, this movie has the feature film debut of Hayden Christensen, the boy that would go on to play Anakin Skywalker and also Darth Vader now. He actually got to play Has Darth he ever Vader. done a successful movie? <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I guess um, Star Wars. I guess Star Wars was successful. It just, the prequels suck. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Let's, 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 let's look at this. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. I can tell you now. No. Damn, poor guy. No, I'm looking at all these. I'm so sorry. I love you, Hayden. You do great as Anakin, but. I mean, I guess oh, wait. he does. He was in Are You Afraid of the Dark, the TV series. Oh, I remember seeing that. I don't think oh, I'd recognize him if I saw him, though. Because I didn't recognize him here. You pointed him out, and I'm like, I don't I don't know who that kid is. <laughs> Once you point him out, you can kind no, of see it. No, it was funny, because it was coming up, and you were like, hey, there's going to be like a guest appearance of, of like a, a, a cameo appearance of like a, a celebrity who, who like just basically appeared here. It's like their first appearance. And as a joke, because it, you know, this movie is not old enough. <laughs> I was, I said, jokingly said, James Earl Jones, and you said, you're surprisingly not far off. <laughs> it was and I was the like, most, what is like, that shocking mean? guess you could ever give me, because I was like, I... And then, this, and then this little white boy on a bike shows up, and you're like, that's him. I'm like, how? How is this related at all to James Earl Jones? And then I told you, and that's why I was a little <laughs> bit shocked, because I knew you were going to give me a bullshit answer. I knew you were going to give me some sort of joke answer. You always do. But the fact that you actually were kind of on the same road Listen. of these two characters. Listen, if I'm going to defend myself of all the pedantic things I do, it's this one. <laughs> When someone asks me a question, I answer it. You ask me a question I had no way of knowing the answer to, so any answer is as ridiculous as the last, so I went with it. I'm not blaming you. I'm not trying to say you were wrong. I was just shocked that your joke was so on point. It wasn't a joke. It was a guess as bad or as good as any other. <laughs> no. No. Well, I mean, yeah, technically, there was no way you were going to know, ever. But the fact, like, I knew yeah. you weren't going to know. But the fact that you chose that guy out of every the choice you could have given. The fact that I chose one Darth Vader and not the NX was pretty astounding. Like, it's just, like, though, it would be even weirder if you named the original actor in the Darth Vader suit. If you would have named that, I would have been done. I don't know done. who that guy is. Exactly. I would have probably <laughs> just left the movie and been like, look, dude, you can finish Sunger up. <laughs> you're just like you have seen this happen you liar you were lying to me with your lying liar face no my face is not liar it's my words my words oh here's another fun fact in uh the scene where linda uh swallows the keys to the car so trent can't escape his keys were made of pasta my god it came back to the flying spaghetti monster crap <laughs> Uh, is hold on. Was it always all, comes is, back to the, the pasta. <laughs> hold on. Now I'm not sure if I have agency anymore. <laughs> Looking up prophecies of the flying spaghetti monster real quick. BRB, gonna go down a hole real. <laughs> no, this was all oh. written in a book. <laughs> Square it. I'm losing me. <laughs> <laughs> guess don't. No guess. Come back to me. <laughs> This whole episode is just going to feel like a fever dream by tomorrow. Here's another fun fact. Hob is an old word which was used to refer to the devil. Hey, there you so go. Welcome to Devil's End. There you go. We do have some Satanism or whatever. We do have reference to Satan. It's just shares its name with, like, I don't know, that tiger that that kid dreamed up. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Mean, I just... Hobbs from Calvin and Hobbs is Satan? Never mind. Too deep of a hole. Cannot go in there. Look, you're telling me what? You're only now putting this together? This is a boy who is six years old talking about the intricacies of life, the universe, death, existence. You think God's on his side? Nah, dude. That's the devil. Like, all right, he's asking the right questions. Let's see what's going on here. Just give him a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come in the form of a stuffed tiger. I'm not going to do anything to him. I'm just going to let this kid talk because he's the one asking all the questions. <laughs> oh, that could that could be the very first episode of our club. Just all the Hobbs, all the Calvin and Hobbs who can. <laughs> I particularly like, yes, our first like book this was one a comic funny book. picture. <laughs> 
Well, of course it's not about the pictures. And it's about the philosophy and how girls are gross. And then it devolves into, hey, yeah, you know that bumper sticker where he's pissing on everything? That's fucked up, <laughs> eh? That's <laughs> not even like a real still. Someone else drew that. Yeah, no, the creator, the creator for Calvin and Hobbes hates it. He's like, look what they've done to my boy. I didn't want this. This is the reason him. why he never, he never let anyone get rights to his stuff because he doesn't. He never wants it animated. He never wants a movie. He never wants a show. No, no T-shirts. No stuffed toys. Nothing. If you think Calvin and Hobbes needs that. You do not understand why Calvin and Hobbes was written. He's a normal dude, not like some freak who, like Jim Davis, who has like fucking like a house or pool like the shape of Garfield's head. I think also that Dilbert dickhead also has like a house or a pool in the shape of Dilbert's fucking head. (laughs) Are you a Dilbert or are you normal? Anyways, yeah, no, this is this is a, this is a fever dream episode. Those right were fun facts. Thank you. I'm sad now. <laughs> I don't know what's real. There's all these people that gave me like. There's someone who's here. It's like, hey guys, at around 16 minutes, when Linda Stiles is introduced for the first time and is speaking about Sutter Kane's book, she takes off her glasses. She takes her glasses off and folds them twice. It's like, yeah, I know. We also love Jurassic Park, and we watch, uh, we, oh, what is her name? I can't remember her name now. We watch, oh, there we go. We watch Laura Dern jump over the same tree twice. Still a good scene. Still love it. Oh, yeah. Th- th- those are just like, hey, look, we, we noticed some, some bad things in continuity. Like, yeah, it's fine. <clears throat> Listen. The only, there, the, there's, I, look, the only reason you can bitch about continuity and you have a right to is when you're watching Game of Thrones and there's a Starbucks cup on it. I get yeah. it, okay? We're I not going to delve too deeply into this, because I had two agreements when I agreed to this podcast. It's one, I was not going to do any ratings. Two, I'm not going to do some Cinema Sins bullshit. <laughs> like, I don't have I don't, I don't, don't have the patience to do that. Like, I'll notice them, but they're not oh, actually the biggest yeah. deal. Yeah, they're just know? things Like, people you, are going to make mistakes, you know? a little bit of a layoff, probably. Um, Except, like, again, Game of Thrones. I, how can you leave a water bottle on set? Starbucks how could cup. you do that? Um, <laughs> Starbucks cup. I oh do like gosh. the idea that Trent goes into this movie theater at the very end. He he sits down. He's getting ready to sit down for the movie. But he's like, well, I can't go to a movie without popcorn. <laughs> goes there. The place is abandoned. Has to make his own popcorn. <laughs> put it in a bucket. <laughs> They didn't. Those fucking cowards didn't want to show us, but we should have seen Sam. I wanted to see Sam Neil there making his own popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to see that scene of him just being like, uh, going over, plugging everything in, puts the kernels in. He's just kind of looking at it as like it's spinning around and pops and all that stuff. I want to see him put the butter on and everything. I need to see a man who's fully lost it at this he's point. Put money in the register because he's not an animal. <laughs> Gets himself some milk. He gave himself we didn't proper see that scene, but we know he has. He he gave himself proper change because he doesn't believe in tipping. All right. Wait, are you supposed to tip when you go to the movie theaters? No, of course oh. not. But like you know, he's gonna give himself proper change okay. because he doesn't believe in. I was that. like, oh god, this is where I learn I've been a dickhead my whole life. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't need to do that. Anyway, also I wanted to see the scene where he like looks at the hot dog rack for five minutes and think to himself. Do I want one? Am I hungry enough? But I kind of already have the popcorn. But can I eat both the popcorn and a hot dog? But that hot dog looks really good right now. I think considering how that night started, I'm glad we didn't have a scene where he stared at hot dogs. Oh. <laughs> I don't feel okay anymore. <laughs> there you go. Now I'm not the only one that feels disturbed. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sad. that scene is just going on it's just like and you think to yourself that you're fine but you're not fine <laughs> let's see let's see let's see i feel like a lot of this the movie itself is very easy it's self-explanatory this again i'm sorry but this is a lovecraft movie it's not hard to understand like if you want to do cosmic horror you need to go in the style of like Guillermo del Toro or uh, 
Panos Cosmatos or the or Aaron Benson and Jason Moritz. I think yeah. that's their names. I do like uh I, I do like the creature designs in this. Both the fucked up people and the like, you know, just weird weird creatures in here. I think John Carpenter just does fun practical effects people. Like even when that lady turns into like fucking Valdo Grasshopper, whatever the shit she was. Um you could tell it was practical, practically done, or it wasn't like CGI or anything. I don't know how they did it, because that one was real fucked up the way she was contorting, but uh, it looked cool. I, I, well, I made the same thing over, uh, you know, talking about um, uh, uh, the thing when we did the thing. There was less, less gooey, gooey, gooey uh, puppets, gooey boys, but uh, it was they were still really nice, cool effects. Freaky shit. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> like, you're right. And apparently, like, that is actually what they were also going for. They wanted these characters, or these monsters, to look a little bit cartoonish. Because Trent, for the entire film, is denying their existence and saying that they cannot be a part of reality, only to find out, you were fucking wrong, dude. So it came back to Looney Tunes as well. <laughs> It's always oh, dude! It's Looney Tunes always. It's all connected. Every circle is just Bugs Bunny. Like I kind of feel like that's what they're hap- What happened when she was when, when Linda was driving and they ended up at Hobbs? Just because, like you said, it's like this weird sequence where she's just looking at this fucking lost highway ass looking road, and then all of a sudden uh, <laughs> they're on clouds and she wa- drives through this uh, little little tunnel or uh, bridge. And yeah, it's, at any point it just feels like someone just painted the scenery and just like yeah, there you go. Drive through it. Wait, 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 wait a second. No waiting. There's no time. Holy shit. Dude, Kaz, you and I need to go to Canada. That church in the movie, uh-huh. it's a real place. It's a real church. Oh. And it's called the Cathedral of Transfiguration. Oh, that sounds cool as shit. <laughs> I know. What denomination is this Go church? To church for? Oh, of course it's Catholic, man. Like oh. it's like Slavic Greek Catholic church. So like it would just turn into. I can't believe an actual church agreed to that. Oh wait, wait! It's a Catholic former cathedral and current parish of Transfiguration of Jesus. Is it an event? Oh yeah, yeah. Wait, the Transfiguration of Jesus is an event described in the New Testament where Jesus is transfigured and becomes radiant in glory upon a mountain. The synoptic gospels recount the occasion in the second epistle of Peter. Also, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Bible stuff. Occasion would, all that. Um, Yeah, this church sounds rad as hell. Yeah, that's great. So we got to do a a road trip for one of the podcasts. We're going to film inside the church, but we're going to have, like... We're going to go to that town, eat some spaghetti, and then go hang out at the church. <laughs> we got to find the place that serves really good spaghetti. That doesn't have to be really good. It's just for <laughs> religious purposes. You think they pick the best wine when they give you the blood of Christ? No. No. We've delivered the wine. We know exactly what's in there. <laughs> no, dude. We go. We go. We eat spaghetti. We pray to a jellyfish, and then we record an episode in a Catholic church. Oh my god, is this going to be the place where we finally record the episode for The Exorcist? You know? <laughs> you know, I don't hate that idea. <laughs> oh, man. All right. All right. So, Kaz? You? Did you like it? I think I did. I think so. I don't know if I have free will anymore to say that I did definitively, but... Um, it was uh it like you said it's campy it's a little bit goofy it's not completely serious but it has some fucked up like ideas in it that you could just stew on and uh get really really fucking high and decide man that's fucked up that movie's goddamn um but uh, <laughs> so yeah it has all the all the hallmark stuff that I like that come out roughly around this like era of movies um where yeah there's good practical effects it's some fun ideas uh it's not overly serious um but still a little fucked up um so yeah yeah i think i liked it sam neil uh like you know i embrace even some of the shittier parts of it sam neil's acting's great his accent does not always stick the landing and that's just fun um yeah yeah it might feel a little meandering like at parts but it's it's still a fun time it's not it doesn't overstay its welcome either uh 
was like, yeah, I don't have too much to say other than it was just fun. Uh, Square in. Yes. So did you like it? I do. I do like this movie. I know I was ragging on it and I'm ragging about doing Lovecraft in uh, movies, but there are actually a good couple of Lovecraft movies that I do really like, and this is one of them. I'll always go back to this movie as one of my kind of comfort horror movies. Um, like, I'll watch it at least every Halloween season, and I'll watch it whenever I need a Lovecraft kick, because this type of horror does speak to me because of I, I suffer from a lot of these same type of horror, or these phobias that you know, inspired this type of writing, and so that that kind of sick interest in the own thing that the things that scare you, you know, so it works for me. Um, and I love Sam Neill in cosmic horror films. Uh, I haven't seen all of it, but the scenes I've seen in possession are insane. This movie is campy and a lot of fun to uh, watch him go <clears throat> mad in. Event Horizon is just a wild movie. The only good Paul Anderson film that we'll ever get. And I'm going to be thankful for it. Uh, And that is why I always will argue, I will always (laughs) argue that if Guillermo del Toro gets at the Mountains of Madness, it needs to have Sam Neill. Do not let Tom Cruise in this movie. Do not let James Cameron near the producers uh, section. Just do this, Guillermo. Pick the right actors. You have the perfect guy who could play the role. You know what I'm talking about here. Do the right thing. I am. I don't know if it's controversial to say or if this is a hot take, but seeing what he did with Pinocchio, I also wouldn't mind if Guillermo del Toro did like an animated Lovecraft thing. He originally was. And there's a CG clip out there of like the test footage they had created for At the Mountains of Yeah, Madness. I saw that. I wasn't what I'm sure. saying is you could still have you could still have Sam Neill voice. Oh, yeah, sure. He's good. He's good at this type of role. Yeah, he's a crazy man. Sam Neill, uh, Sam Neill as the old guy, John Cusack as the assistant. It'll be fun. All right then, even if you're dream casting and everything, great. Uh, basically, uh, man, it's fun times. It's fun times. I can't even remember what you said while I was talking. <laughs> like what joke you made? Oh, I didn't realize I made one. That's all right. All right, Kaz, what you got going on in your yeah, life? All right, we're in the midst, the throes, you might say, of October. Editor here again, I know, I know, I know, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm sorry, it's November. Um, So we're doing some spooky games. Ooh. Me and Bubs are continuing to do um, uh, Devil and Me, which is one of the uh, Dark Pictures games. That's real fun. We'll do The Last of Us on Sundays. Um, And then I th- think we're moving on to Signalis? Because I finished something. Hellblade. Yeah, that was fucked up. That was good. I think you might like that one, actually. Um, Nan's doing the assembly uh, in Sound Mine and Romansylvania. Some fun stuff. Not all, not all horror. There's some goofy stuff in there. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the gist of it. You can also catch this podcast on Fridays live at 10 o'clock Texas time. Or Central U.S., however you want to refer to it. Um, yeah, where you might hear some of the dumb shit that we have the good fortune of having cut from our editor by our editor. <laughs> uh, what what do you what, what do you got going on in your life that's so special, Squaring? Huh? Um, <clears throat> only thing I can re- give out right now is November fifth. Uh, you can catch me on Mizzy Cat's Twitch channel. Okay, editor here again. I'm sorry. Listen, so obviously you can't. It's November 6th. You're hearing this or later. Um, but it, the VOD is on Mizzy Cat's Twitch channel. So go watch the VOD and enjoy. For Dungeons & Dragons, where I will be DMing a one-shot. Uh, for It's a level 14 one-shot. It'll be a lot of fun. A little bit of horror involved. A little bit of trauma involved. I'm just doing the whole thing I need to to uh, either kill some players or have a good session. So if you want to check that out, you can uh, find it uh, at twitch.tv forward slash M-I-Z-Z-I-C-A-T, November 5th at 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, Hope to see you there. Uh, You can find this podcast edited every week on Spotify, Apple Music, or Apple Pod, Amazon Music. Uh, This, it's edited every week thanks to our good friend Tucker. 
who uh, works to help us sound not so terrible. And, you know, it's an uphill battle, but he does his best. You can find him on Twitter at Tucker Wins or when you can stream on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Tucker underscore wins. You can also find his music on Spotify under the name Tucker Wins Stanley. Do we want to announce what we're doing next week or do we want to just keep that in the air in case something goes awry? Because <laughs> as we said last week, there was supposed to be a guest this week. What but... could possibly go awry, good sir? Um, yeah, well, I, I think because we've had uh, this guest before on a podcast, so this will be a triumphant return, I hope. Uh, yes, um, we have our good friend Ace Scorcher returning to the podcast with a horror film he has selected. I won't reveal that one just in case they change their mind. Uh, they're pretty much set in stone, but we just want to give them that benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But look forward to us continuing this October of spooky films and not Netflix Christmas movies because you never know what you're going to get next year. Uh, yeah, and also it just it's always our luck that once we set something in stone, something goes terribly wrong and we have to change our plans last minute. Always. Yeah. Isn't that always at, like I'm not going to lie, man. I'm glad we switched this movie, but at that but after Wednesday, I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna go to bed. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm, gonna. I'm gonna crawl into bed. I'm gonna cry a little bit. Yeah. And try to feel better about my life. I think we all should do that from time to time, just as a just as a point of of, of personal health and recovery. Yeah. You, you know what? Are we done? You want to just go get a good cry on you want right to now? Cry. Let's fucking go cry. Let's go cry. Yeah. You know what? Fuck you guys. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before we go, Lovecraft is a chode. <laughs>